What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Security Squawk Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Horning, with Reginald Andre and Ryan O'Hara, Randy Bryan. He went on vacation this week, so we let him off the hook. How are you, gentlemen? Welcome to another episode, another week. Good. I don't, I don't know about you guys, but my uh, my volume was turned up a little louder than usual, so I was jamming out to the entrance music. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hey, what's going on? I'm somewhere here in North Carolina. Oh, oh yeah. Are you keeping it a secret or are you not sure? No, no, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. That's some, that's some wild wallpaper you have, by the way. I know. Yeah, it's like, yeah. uh, it's tripping me out. It's like that, the, the uh, hidden picture eye stuff that you stare at. It turns into like a picture of a lion. I, I thought I saw a sailboat behind him. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the podcast where we educate you about cybersecurity and what you need to start doing to protect yourself and help businesses and, and people, anybody that works in a business really get a, an understanding of why this matters and, and what you should be doing. So today's show, we're going to kick it off with some information, some statistics about how the C-suite feels about ransomware. And then we're going to go into some ransomware attacks. And there's a reason we're doing that. And it'll make sense in a few minutes here. Um, and then we want to kind of bring everybody up to speed on a new attack vector for cyber criminals that revolves around going after your cloud data and why that's important. Because I think people really need to start understanding what the heck is happening with that cloud ecosystem, whether you're with Google or Microsoft or, you know, AWS, wherever, your own private cloud, um, this all impacts you. So stay tuned towards the end of the show. We're going to tell you something new about, you know, what's going on with ransomware and cloud because the hackers are going after your cloud data. So before we jump into it, remember, we don't annoy you with ads. We don't uh, do commercials on this show. We just ask you to share our show. That's the only fee. Um, help us grow the show organically. The more you share it, the more you rate it, the better that we do, the more other people see it that aren't your friends. You know, when you give us a little rating, it, it helps the algorithm get our content up into other people's screens so they can get this information too. And we thank you for everything that you do do to help us grow this show. So without further ado, let's get into it. So we got this article from Security Intelligence, and it kind of goes into a little bit about the C-suite, whoever they are, um, being optimistic about ransomware. And I guess it poses the question, are they right? And I guess that's the debate we can have on the show today is, you know, is the C-suite, you know, too sure of themselves here in this case, or or maybe are they, are they right on? So, I guess let's pull out some statistics so people have a frame of reference for for what we're talking about. Um, but apparently, the C-suite thinks that they're doing enough to combat ransomware. You guys, see I mean, that right? I, I think probably the types of of people that they they interviewed for this, they're probably doing better than they were two, three, four years ago. Um, but I, I do think that they're overly optimistic. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the things we've been talking about is we're seeing a little bit of a decline in, in ransomware attacks because they're going in, in other directions. Uh, so that could have something to do with it. But, you know, they're doing a lot more than what they used to be doing. But I, I still don't think it's enough. They got to keep going in order to keep up. And uh, um, I don't know if that's happening. Yeah, this this article looks a little pie in the sky. I think it's way too optimistic. Yeah, I, I, I find it interesting that one stat that they're throwing out is just 15% expressed a lack of confidence. So that means 85% of the organizations that they talk to think that they're doing enough to um, bat ransomware. Um, and I guess the questions asked in the article, does the confidence take into account the nearly 50 53% rise in double extortion yeah. ransomware attacks between January and February? So 
the other question is who who in the C-suite are they talking to? I mean, you know, from a security perspective, I always look at everything like trying to locate the holes. I know that they're there. We have to find them before the bad guys do. So, but from a, you know, maybe the CEO perspective, you know, hey, I, you know, we, we've done this, this, and this, and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not on the battlefield for this. So I, I, I'm pretty optimistic we're in good hands. Whereas if they ask the CISO, you know, that might be a whole different conversation. So according to this study, business, business leaders would like more budgetary and risk information when it comes to knowing their cyber risk. Up to 41% of executives survey want more details on investments needed to protect against ransomware. And 43% want to know exactly how another budget will improve security. So I don't know. These are kind of like, based on my experience, these are questions that CFOs ask. Mm -hmm. They want more detail on the investment and they want to know if their investment is paying off. Right. These aren't questions a CIO is asking or even a CEO. A lot of times these are these are CFO questions that CFOs want answered. So that's who it seems to me based on the results of the survey. But, you know, you have about 40 percent that want more details on investments needed, right? What, what else do we need to do? It's kind of the, the other way to ask this question. The other 60%, what are they asking? Right. That's, you know, 40% want to know, you know, can we do more? Or what if, if we do dedicate more, what's it going to go to? What are the other 60% doing? Nothing. That's my opinion. I, I honestly, I think that's the answer. I don't think they're doing anything. I don't think they care. I think there's definitely a see no evil, hear no evil kind of, you know, stance with a lot of these executives. You know, if, if I if I don't know about it, then I don't have to act on it. So it's it's kind of like a willful ignorance of, you know, I, I don't want to hear it. So here's here's the biggest gap revelation, if that's what you want to call it. So if you really want to have confidence in, in what you're doing and you want to be at the C level, right? I think a lot of times the confidence that these guys have is just that, hey, we, we hired somebody. We have a guy. You know, we, we have a guy. We have a company. Most of them are hiring CISOs or CIOs or the CIOs mm -hmm. acting like the CISO. Um, I go on LinkedIn. Uh, I look at company profiles, and I see a guy move from CIO to CSO, but they never replaced the CIO. So it's kind mm -hmm. of like we just – slapped an extra word in his title and now we have a security officer right and i think that's very dangerous number one let's talk about that for a second right just slapping that security you know term in front of you know your it manager your it director your cio um it really doesn't do anything other than put a word in front of on somebody's title i mean in my experience and this is why i want to talk about this in my experience CIOs and CISOs are two very different personality types. And I don't, a lot of, a lot of times I, I don't see where I, or I see CIOs think that they can be CISOs and they really can't. And, and I'm not saying that they don't have the skill set. It's just, a, it's a different personality style. And I think I've mentioned this before that like really good IT guys, their job is to make things work and make things go. Right. And they won't really care about order. They don't really care if things are getting done in a proper manner. And quite frankly, I think it's a very dangerous situation when a technical person is responsible for checking their own work mm -hmm. when it comes to security. Um, I think you need to have very different people in those roles. What do you guys I agree. It's a conflict of interest to have that, and and it's not it's not something that's unique to the C-suite. I mean, we see it in uh, you know our world as well with with uh, different IT providers, where you know they're starting to realize, hey, you need to get into security if you, you want to you know keep being relevant, uh, and they they add on you know one or two security tools and start pitching that they're offering cybersecurity, which which is not how that works. So it's something you got to be be careful of and make sure that the people that you're using are well-qualified and are actually doing what they say that they're doing. Yeah, even when you look on LinkedIn, like Brian, like you talked about where they're, put, they're adding that title, but then where's the training? You know, like all of a sudden you just decided to call yourself this, but then there's nothing where you went to school, you didn't do any type of certifications. 
Um, I've even seen it where network engineers, they went from network engineer and taking care of everything to now they want to be the CIO and then, you know, whatever, right. whatever. So. Right. And that's, and that's, that, that's, this, that's what this article says to me and what this, what this problem really is in our industry across the board. When you're, when you have executives asking questions in the numbers of 40% plus, want to know more detail, want to know why, want to know exactly what, what they're, what if they, if they give you this money, how's it going to improve security? And that tells me, that tells the story that the people that are feeding the information to the C-levels, the guys that we just mentioned, the unqualified security people in your organization, that's why you don't have this information because you don't have qualified people giving it to you. Right, you have people learning on the job, so to speak, um, which is really dangerous, especially for that organization. Because when somebody gets enough skill, they're going to move on. Right, when you when they build and learn on your dime, um, which is a very dangerous, and b it, it really that person is not going to stay at your organization longer if they actually can achieve the skills that are required for this. But I think the numbers that we talked about earlier with the CFOs wanting to know this information, I think it's because they're not getting the information. It's, mm -hmm. They're not getting good information. So it's hard for them to make the right decision. But again, this is a function of the C-suite, not putting the right people in the seats on the bus. They got people in the seats, but these people are not qualified. So the unqualified people are not giving you what we would consider, you know, industry best practices and what to do guy the three of us here we know how to protect data we can literally sit down with you and say if you put money on this this is how it's going to protect you this is how much it's going to reduce your risk and and these particular c-suite people are saying that like that's the information we're not getting so we're not going to do anything until we we understand this information the other piece of it is is that you know just talking about this level of confidence that the C-suite has, only 29% of the boards out there that were surveyed, only 29% of boards are deeply involved in the cybersecurity strategy, which is a huge problem because if you have a ransomware incident, your board's going to be involved, right? So you, if, you're, if you're a board member, you're sitting on a board of a, a mid or large or enterprise company, and your first involvement with cybersecurity in that company is a ransomware event. Well, I can tell you, you're doing it wrong. Um, and, and that's, you know, I, I'd like to talk about this stat a little bit, too. It's like the SEC is requiring um, publicly traded companies to, you know, have cybersecurity readouts and submit those readouts with their quarterly filing, that's how seriously the SEC's taking this. That's publicly traded companies. If you're, you know, not a publicly traded company, but you still have a board, you're not required to do this. Um, but at the end of the day, boards are going to start needing to be held responsible for what happens with the mm -hmm. cybersecurity in companies, and and that's the way the world's going. You know, it's it's, it's publicly traded companies now, but it won't be long before you know there's laws on the books that says if, if you're on a board and you're not you know involved in the cybersecurity strategy um, and something happens you can be held you know responsible or you could be held liable um, in, in those situations um, and that's really going to make the needle move when it comes to board involvement and kind of the answers that are given in this survey where it's like we, we don't know you know it's it's amazing to me that they're this optimistic when they don't know. And this to me is just like, well, they're optimistic because they got their head buried in the sand. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's easy to be optimistic when you're, when your head's buried in the sand, you know, the sky's falling and these people don't even see it. So what else did you guys uh, pull out of this article that we want to kind of talk about? There's some, so there's some other things in here about employee training, um, you know, uh, social engineering scams, but it all revolved around that human layer, that human element um, as the being the biggest, weakest link. And, you know, if I'm a C-suite person, 
the fact that I have a human being even involved in, in my cybersecurity should make me not feel optimistic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because <laughs> it's like the opposite, because we know the human, the human person is the one where the majority of times it's what opens the door to these, you know, cyber attacks. And here it is saying, you know, you're basically putting the human on the pedestal saying, oh, yeah, you know, we're training them now and all of this stuff. And it's like, mm -mm. Mm -hmm. yep. So, I mean, I keep hearing the same thing. This article points out and I keep hearing the same thing over and over. And I just, I just don't buy into it one bit. And we can talk about this a little bit too, but it's this whole thing that once cryptocurrency becomes regulated, ransomware and all this stuff's going to go away because then we won't have a way to pay the cyber criminals. I just don't agree with that. Nope. They'll always find another way. I mean, <laughs> I mean, like you're, we're just not thinking out of the box, right? We're just thinking, you know, cryptocurrency because, you know, that's the main way that people pay now because it's the easy way and it's the quickest way to get your data back. But I remember my first experience with ransomware when somebody called me up and they had it and, and we had to drive to 7-Eleven and pay cash for mm -hmm. Western Union telegrams. I mean, it'll go back to that. It'll mm -hmm. go back to, you know, as crazy as this sound, hey, meet Bruno on the corner and drop him 20 grand in cash and we'll give you your data back. And once Bruno, you know, sends the text message saying he has the cash in hand and you get your decryption key. It's Maybe. not beyond these guys to start doing this stuff. Well, and and we're also seeing it too. You know, they they can also switch up the way that they're they're doing their attacks. So we we've seen a lot more with business email compromise and uh, you know being you know inserting themselves in the middle of a financial transaction and just getting the money wired directly to them. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and again, you could easily manipulate that, right? You can easily, mm -hmm. you know. You're gonna, you are gonna send the money. If you want your files back, you're gonna figure out how to send the money. You know whether you have a lawyer there telling you if you send that money there, you're gonna, you know, break the law. Okay, well, when's the last time you heard of somebody being prosecuted for paying a ransom? Right. Until that actually starts happening, I don't think people are gonna care too much. So, anything else in this article you guys want to talk about? Um, they also mentioned about how uh, apparently there's been the international community going after the um, hackers, but then we also know that the hackers are starting to become smaller, so that way they're less um, able to be caught, and also so there it's just not a big, you know, here it is, this one group that's targeting everybody. So the smaller it is, the less resources the government's going to have to try to go after these groups, and it's just going to be harder to um, to find these guys. I think that all goes back to the false sense of security. I, I think, you know, people are trying to convince themselves of these things, but these guys have such a huge head start financially. You know, you, you, we can't just make a few minor changes, you know, over the course of a year or two and expect that, that we're just going to stop them in their, in their tracks. They're way ahead of, you know, everything that's being done to stop them. Yeah. And the article does go on the state and I, and it does kind of echo what I already alluded to. Um, but it, it does say that all decisions must have strong sea level buy-in. And I think that the reason it's written in that way in this article is because, quite frankly, a lot of the times these budget these decisions are not being made at the sea level. A budget is being dedicated to IT, and somebody else downstream is kind of making the decisions around this kind of stuff. And it's saying that executives must learn to work well with their security teams and include them at key levels of decision making, meaning you have to invite these people into the boardroom, into the seats, suite. You need that cybersecurity readout from the right person because it goes on to say the chief information security officer should learn to speak in business terms. That right there is 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 all we need to hear that we have the wrong people in the wrong seats. Right. We have technical people trying to explain these problems and they can't do it because they're talking tech and they're not talking business and business people don't understand tech. Right. So until we get the right people in the room with the C-suite, the C-suite is just going to have their eyes glaze over and they're not going to understand any of the stuff that actually needs to, to get done. 
So they need to understand how budgets can be made to strengthen the business, not just the security. And that's, I think, the big difference. How do we strengthen the business and not just strengthen, you know, talking about firewalls and endpoint protection and stuff like that? That doesn't need to happen in the C-suite, but you need to understand the business impact of not having the right firewall in place and what does that mean to the business. And somebody needs to be able to do that. And, you know, your CIO, your IT manager, your IT director might not be the best person for that. Um, so if anything, this, this article to me, guys, highlights the problems that we have within the business in the different departments that exist, right? So we, we know we have IT departments and businesses, but this is the struggle that businesses deal with is, is having the right people in the right seats on the bus. Um, and, you know, while they're trying to figure out this security challenge, you know, from a technical and business standpoint, they're also trying to figure out the talent, you know, gap or shortage, if that's what you want to call it, right? Because, I mean, quite frankly, a good CISO is going to cost you $200,000. And if you're already paying a CIO, chances are, if you're under 500 employees, you don't have a budget for both. So, you know, that's kind of the world we're living in right now. So companies are going to have to start looking at, fract even though they have a CIO, they're going to have to start looking at things like fractional CISO services and stuff like that, mm -hmm. you know, outsourcing it until they have enough, you know, of a budget to support a full-time, you know, CISO as an employee. I, I think the, the interesting timing of this story is, is how many articles we went through today. We, we've got just as many articles on the cutting room floor today that we do, uh, that we're actually going to talk about. So yeah, that, that just really contradicts how optimistic right. we are as opposed to how, how the C-suite sees yeah, it's unbelievable that they're even using the word optimistic at this stage of the game. So, you know, it, it, it's it's really unbelievable. And I have no idea. Oh, there it is. Okay. I just want to make sure I have my next article queued up. So, as Ryan uh, so eloquently put about articles that we had to get rid of, which is probably about 20 or so. Um, we have several ransomware disclosures, and, and I guess that's kind of the terminology we need to talk in now. And we've been saying this for several weeks, but we're not finding out about ransomware as quickly as we used to. And I've said it on the show before. I think that's because insurance companies, lawyers um, are getting involved. They're getting better at these these incident responses, these ransomware responses. Um, and I'm going to say the average time to get information about a ransomware attack is probably somewhere between two and three months at this point. Uh, it used to be two and three hours back in the day. Um, and now we're getting longer and longer. So Flagstar Bank discloses data breach impacting 1.5 million customers. Um, what's going on here, guys? My question, so, so the, the attack, uh, they experienced the incident in December of 2021, uh, yep. and then they also report that after an investigation, the bank discovered on June 2nd, so earlier this month, that the threat actors had access sensitive customer details. So my, my first question is what took so long to, to determine that? Um, they had determined that the security incident occurred in December of 2021. When did they actually discover it? You know, so either they discovered it around when that happened and it took them six months to figure out what happened or they only discovered that recently. Uh, so that's something that's left out of this story. That That is a question I have. Yep. Yeah, another thing here, they quote, we have no evidence that any of the information has been misused. So what do you have? Uh, someone breach your network of a bank and they're not going to do anything about it? So Excelion was actually who got breached, but... In, in that process, they were able to get Flagstar Bank's information. Right. So, so Excelion was the root cause. And again, we keep talking about this too. Third parties being breached and it affecting your business. And like that, I, I did a talk uh, 
at the New Jersey CPA convention last week. And this is the bulk of my talk that I talked about with them is making them realize that you can't just look at your own data that sits on your servers and is in your network. You've got to evaluate all the data, all the systems, all the things that you need and use to run your business, to make money. If they go away, how are you going to continue to operate? Right. That's the name of the game. Right. So, and we're just seeing it more and more with third-party entities being breached and it affecting other companies. And here we go, you know, with Flagstar. I, you know, I remember a couple of weeks ago we had the. I think it was. Uh, I can't remember the name of the hosting company, but you know, it was. It, it happened to be Ruby Receptionist. You know, where they hosted their platform, where they answer calls for their customers. That was part of this. IT company that was taken down and Ruby receptionists couldn't answer phones, you know, like they normally could uh, when, as they were going through this. So there's a lot of different ways that your businesses can be affected by data breaches, by cyber attacks, by ransomware attacks that don't involve your company directly. Um, and that's why third-party risk assessments are, are extremely important. You need to look at all the different partners and vendors that you work with and understand what their cybersecurity practices are and understand that they could be a reason why you can't come into work one day and do business. Uh, we're seeing it more and more. We're going to talk about Microsoft in a little bit, and that's along the same lines as, as these companies that you know, have, have these third party breaches and it affects them and their customers. And then so, also, also in the reverse too. So like, you know, if, if you're using something like 365 and you've got single sign on that, that, you know, connects you to other third party vendors that you have, and then your credentials for 365 get breached, all of a sudden they've got access to all of that other data. You know, you so gotta, you gotta understand how it all connects together. Yep. The Klopp ransomware gang was, were, were the ones that, that um, you know resulted in this breach. Um, the the uh, bank Flagstar actually ended its collaboration with Excel, the Excelion platform as a result. So here you go with an example of a company that was breached and lost customers as a result of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, it just said the samples of stolen data include social security numbers, address addresses, tax records, phone numbers. And they were eventually published on Klopp's data leak site, which made it available basically to anybody with you know the balls to go on dark web with an onion browser. Browser, which, right? Which makes that that line about how they've not seen it being used uh, maliciously yet kind of a <laughs> an empty line. The well, other they thing haven't, they haven't seen it being used, but goddamn, dude, there's so much information out there. They haven't been used yet. That doesn't mean it's not going to be. Yeah, the I mean, too, there's going to be a day when all of this stuff starts to get used. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a day when they're going to turn around and they're going to start using this data to steal information, you know, to, 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 to take people's identity. It, it, and it, it's probably already happening. We just, it's just not happening so widespread that anybody's mm -hmm. talking, talking about it. So the other thing I wanted to point out in this one, uh, so it says in January 2021, the ransomware gang accessed those servers for the first time. Yep. The, the breach for Flagstar's data uh, apparently didn't occur until December. So that, that's how long from a timeline perspective these guys get in there and do their reconnaissance before you even know that they're there. Um, and so that's that's really important to see, too. So I came across this article uh which kind of talks about similar stuff, but, you know, and again, you know, this was actually more, more recent when they, when they notified everybody. Um, I'm not sure if the article states exactly when they were initially breached, but again, we have this Wilkins RV, um, which they, which um, I believe manufactures or sells uh, recreational vehicles. They were the target of a ransomware attack earlier in 2022. And according to uh, Wilkins RV, the breach resulted in the names, driver's license numbers, social security numbers, and credit or debit cards of 17,408 customers. Um, 
They filed an official notice of the breach and sent out data breach letters to all affected parties. So a uh, quick shout out to Richard Consul of Consul and Associates PC um, for writing this article. While, you know, what do you, again, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to talk about this than what we already talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it basically saying that, you know, that, that this company had data breach letters sent out to these individuals. And that's, I don't know if there's a whole lot more to this article than, than that. And then they go on to talk about phishing, phishing attacks, but I don't know if it's related. So what did you guys pull out of this? I mean, yeah, I think I, the thing to understand what these big ones is, is so a lot of these will, will reference, uh, you know, they, they gave out two years of, of uh, identity theft protection and, and credit management. Um, you know, a big company like that can easily get more easily get away with something like that. When something like this affects a small business, that that's not going to work. I mean, you you'll have those same responsibilities, but you don't have the the, the war chest cash flow to be able to to do that easily. So, um, small businesses really need to be be mindful of this because what what happens with these larger businesses uh, is not going to fly on, on that smaller scale when they have to react the same way. Yeah, and what I don't get is how could this company keep all of these credit card numbers? Like, don't they have some type of POS system where once you enter it, even if it's a reoccurring charge, you know, you don't need to have the full account numbers where um, now all of this information is in the hand of these bad guys. So basically they're saying that they believe uh, the threat actors gained access to the company's system through a phishing email that an employee opened and the email was evidently contained malware. And at first they didn't think any data was taken, as we always see in these <laughs> articles that we talk about. They always and come out and say, and, and this is an interesting thing. And I talked about this. I talk about this a lot, too. There are certain things that an IT person professional has to do that doesn't come on by default, doesn't isn't turned on by default. Um, and, you know, like you know, just to, just to kind of throw it out there, like advanced file auditing in Windows, that's not turned on by default. So if you want to know if data was exfiltrated, you don't have this turned on, you're not going to know because you're not going to have the telemetry to, to, to have the logs to know that this actually happened. So, of course, a company is going to say, well, no data was stolen. It wasn't until the data showed up on the dark web that they actually said, oh, it was, it was actually stolen. So, that's a, this is a big problem for businesses. They just have things, again, this goes back to IT guys not really knowing the stuff that they need to know. Your IT guys are very good at getting things up and running and making them work. But, you know, a cybersecurity professional is going to come in and say, do we have advanced file auditing turned on so that in the event, you know, data starts moving and files get exfiltrated or things start changing on files, we know who's doing it and we know where it's coming from. That's a very important piece of information to know if you're trying to figure out what's going on. But a lot of systems don't even have that turned on. I mean, 90 plus percent of the uh, environments we do assessments on don't have this turned on. I mean, this is very, very common to not have this turned on, to not have it configured and set up. And that's where this is going to lead you, right? It's going to lead you to a place where you think, oh, well, since we don't have the data telling us that somebody, you know, took thousands of files, we're just going to tell the public that, you know, we don't have any information, you know, that says they took it. Well, yeah, of course you don't have the information because you didn't set it up to, to have it in the first place. Right. So mm-hmm. that's what companies should be required to come out and say. I, right, guys, I think that that's a good idea since we've talked about this, you know, to, you know, to the to the, to the death of it. Um, instead of companies being allowed to come out and say no data was stolen, companies should be able, should come out and say whether they have the telemetry and they they did not detect it, or they come out and say we don't have the telemetry to tell you whether or not your data was stolen. 
And I think part of the problem there is that every state has its own different laws on what, what you need to disclose and, and then you know, different yeah. disclosure laws too. So like in Michigan, you have to let anybody know who may have been impacted by it. So if you haven't done the forensics to, to, to prove and back up that, you know, this customer's data wasn't touched or viewed, you have to let them know if it's a question mark. So, right. so something like that could work the opposite way, whereas if you have that data to where you can prove that, hey, they didn't actually touch anything uh, that was important client da data, you don't have to disclose that publicly or, or let, let those people who, who may have been affected know because you know that they weren't. But you have to be able to prove that. You can't just say, I don't know and get away with it. Yeah, I think, I think the words having, we have the telemetry to say this definitively or we don't have the telemetry to say this definitively needs to be something that gets added into these disclosures mm -hmm. like letting people know that we have the proper information to evaluate this situation um you know i, I just think it's a little thing that might go a long way uh in these disclosures so people understand like what's happening so Anything else from the Wilkins recreational vehicle uh, attack uh, that you guys wanted to kind of highlight? So we'll move right along. Sadly, it's pretty cookie cutter these days. Yeah. So then we're going to run on to another one. So we're going to talk about this Montrose environmental group. Uh, let me just find it real quick. So this was interest. This was an interesting one to me just because of who they are. Um, let me get my screen kind of brought up here for those who like to watch the podcast and not listen to it. Mm -hmm. So we got this environmental group and it's a U.S. provider of environmental services. So kind of like a service-based company, um, probably have some juicy clients based on what they do. Um, they were hit by a ransomware attack that disrupted its laboratory testing operations based out of Arkansas, and um, they believe that the incident primarily affected computers and servers within our P analytical laboratory network, whatever the heck that means, um, adding that it expects certain lab results within our business will be delayed. Um, and they basically test air, soil, water, um, Interestingly enough, I'm just going to pull this up. Highly sophisticated. What the heck are they saying here? Anybody want to take this or we're we just going to read it together? Um, <laughs> Let's read it together. So they have 80 locations worldwide. They provide client and uh, clients in industries such as manufacturing, oil, gas, and government services, mm -hmm. including leak detection and repair. Um, the nature of the ransomware attack, as well as information from law enforcement and independent cybersecurity experts, lead us to believe that this attack has been carried out by highly sophisticated bad actors. Wow. They got ransomware, right? Yeah, that's what, it's, that's what it starts from the top. The title says ransomware. I wonder what that means. Sounds like a bunch of horseshit to me. Yeah. Now, this also could be interesting because of what they do. It could be someone that wants that information as well. Like they, they want to see what they're doing or they want the results of the lab tests or their methods, et cetera. But why would they deploy ransomware? Uh, yeah. <laughs> they they would have just stole the data and that's it, right? But I guess they got their information. Yeah. Double dipping. You want to make some money for their work too. Yeah, I just don't feel like anymore. I study enough ransomware attacks. I just don't feel like anymore that ransomware and sophisticated go together. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to tell me that somebody was sitting on your network for three years and they were spying on you and stealing all kinds of data. Okay. That's a sophisticated attack, right? They were able to hide themselves for three years. When somebody outs themselves by deploying ransomware, they're in it for ransomware, and usually ransomware attacks are not sophisticated. It could have been a team up, though, too. We talked about that last week, where where you know these these groups are teaming up, and and the the highly sophisticated bad actor was the one that got access and was more interested in the data, but then they actually then they ended up selling that access for somebody else to deploy ransomware on top of it. I I, I think the way that this is written and and some of the things that it says 
um, you know, that they, they began remediating with external IT and, and, and cybersecurity experts. I, I feel like they had some pretty decent advice uh, from a legal perspective. And that's why there's there's certain holes in here that probably most people don't even notice. Uh, but being in the industry, we, we, we can see some of the things that just don't add up from our experience. So Yeah, I just don't <clears throat> buy it. Like to me, you're highly sophisticated when you exploit a vulnerability that has not been disclosed or discovered mm -hmm. yet. That's the only thing in my mind that can qualify as sophisticated. So unless the FBI had come in and said, wow, yeah, like they got in through an attack vector that we don't never knew about. We just discovered it now. I, I it just, the chances of that being the case are slim to none. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They got in probably through a known vulnerability and they're, they're just calling it highly sophisticated to save their own ass. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Every time we saw a ransomware attack prior to three years ago, every ransomware attack was highly sophisticated. Every single one. And none of them were. Colonial Pipeline was highly sophisticated until we f found out what really happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So it, it's just bullshit. And it, it's just not an accurate accounting of what's actually happening out there. And that's why we highlight these articles because, you know, people think that you know they're they're being told the truth when the reality of it is, is that they're probably not so so we got another ransomware attack to talk about um another united states government entity <laughs> they love hitting municipal governments these guys so north carolina is hey, yeah buncombe county so we're on, Andre's there visiting Buncombe County now, yelling at them for getting ransomware. <laughs> so they identified a security incident. They took immediate steps to shut down every system. And the security professionals tell us no private information has been obtained. We will find that out later that that is not true. Um, I feel like that's another thing that should be disclosed is, is who are these security professionals <laughs> and where they really right, security right. professionals. That's a good point. Too. That, that very well could just mean our in-house IT said we were good. <laughs> yeah, right. Our, C, our CIO, who's now our CISO. Mm -hmm. um, so what else do we know about this? It's a local nonprofit that works with thousands of seniors. Poor seniors are kind of getting hit left and right here. Um, has had a ransomware attack on its computer system. Uh, what else do we know? I, I, the, the line that stands out to me is, is a staffer who spoke on the condition of anonymity said questions had been raised about how seriously officials with the nonprofit were taking the possibility that private information from donors mm -hmm. or clients have been act may have been accessed. Yikes. So that, that to me makes absolutely total sense because that's kind of, you know, the way that, that we see people acting about it on the front end uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. That is true. I had a guy. I had a guy telling me that they were their cybersecurity at their county was good because they had hired an ex-state police officer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So that makes you secure because he used to work for the state police. Yeah. Well, and it's something you know, misconception that we see as well. You know, just because somebody pays somebody for IT, with their knowledge base, the the person hiring that person. They think that they handle everything IT, including security. And, and that's almost never the case. Well, and that's the thing, too. It's like I know a lot of guys in law enforcement that do cybercrime, right? Mm -hmm. And it, the cybercrime from a perspective of, you know, um, all the bad stuff that happens on the dark web that's not ransomware, you know. Drugs, guns, mm -hmm. sex trafficking, all the stuff that happens. That's what they're investigating, right? I highly doubt that, like, the, it's kind of like saying that somebody can, you know, play all positions in baseball, right? Mm -hmm. That's not the case, right? You have catchers, you have pitchers, you have people that play the infield, people that play the outfield. Now, some guys might be, be able to play the infield and the outfield, but the most part, you're not going to have a guy play every single position, right? And, and and that's the analogy I can give you when it comes to cybersecurity. 
there are many different aspects of cybercrime and cybersecurity. And being able to secure and defend a computer network and a computer system is very different than doing an investigation on crime that's happening on the internet. And I think people get it twisted sometimes with, oh, they're, you know, an ex-cybercrime, you know, investigator for the New Jersey State Police or the FBI. That does not make them a cybersecurity person from a network defender standpoint. It makes them a police officer for internet crime. Mm -hmm. Big difference, right? Mm -hmm. And now I see these guys coming in and taking roles at companies in a cybersecurity role. And I'm sitting there going, they're not qualified. And that goes back to our first article that we talked about. The first thing that we discussed, the first topic is this sense of confidence or false confidence that these that these CEOs and these CMO officials have because of the information that probably they're not getting. It's more lack of information that that they're getting from unqualified people than anything. Right. And, and I'm seeing it more and more and it's becoming a problem. So all of this is, is examples about how far behind everybody who's trying to combat this really are. So, I mean, like another example, look at some of the insurance uh, questionnaires that we see. You know, you see a couple buzzwords with a really long question and you read through that whole question. And if you know how this stuff works, like you can understand, you, you can see right off the bat that whoever wrote that question inserted the buzzword, but had no idea anything else that they were talking about in that question. Like sometimes they don't even relate to each other. Yep. And, and the bigger, you know, the, the bigger thing that I see too is, is, is just the, the inability, like, like when I started, I guess I think back to when I started in IT mm-hmm. when I, and I, and my first job in 99 was, was working as a defense contractor for the Navy. And when I got there, I was like literally one of the first people to work there that actually had an IT degree. Everyone else that worked there moved laterally from another role. And just because basically they were kind of good on the computer, they got a job in IT. And that lasted for about five years, maybe a little bit longer before kind of all those people got filtered out or moved along or pushed somewhere else because we actually had trained IT people coming into the market, you know, with actual, you know, CIS degrees and IT degrees and things like that. And as the market became more mature, the labor market in that area, these people that were not qualified kind of got pushed out. I think we're in a very same position. Yeah, no, I agree. If you can show that, you know, security or you've been, you've had some experience with cybercrime or you know, FBI work or whatever, you know, companies love to hire dudes that are ex-NSA. It seems like half the fucking country was ex-NSA or ex-CIA hackers. And I'm like, they don't have that many fucking hackers. And not all these people are fucking hacking. They're, they're, they're like system analysts. Like Edward Snowden is like mm-hmm. a notorious hacker. He was a system analyst. He probably worked in spreadsheets all day. I mean, I know the guy's made a name for himself and he's and he's well known, but come on, like there's very few people like you're talking about the one percent. Right. There's not a thousand Michael Jordans running around the NBA and there's not a thousand superstar hackers out there either. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to look at this talent pool the same way you you see superstar athletes and things like that. There's there's the the top of the top, you know, maybe three, four, five, six guys. And then you kind of have. You have the next level, and then you have the middle of the road, and then you have the guys that never see the court. Um, and that's what we have in, in this world. And there's a lot of people in this world right now that should never see the court, and they do. And realistically, we, we just need a lot more people who understand the fundamentals, and we'd be a lot better off. Sure. Right. Like, what's a framework? <laughs> How does that apply? <laughs> um, so let's just jump into this real quick. We're at 50 minutes already, guys. I don't know how much more we're going to be able to cover, but we're down to our last three topics anyway. Well, we got so much to talk about today because yeah. officials yeah. confirmed on Tuesday that a ransomware targeted data, data centers from the unified government of Wyandotte County and Kansas Wyandotte. Over Easter weekend, again, months later, mm-hmm. we find out about this stuff. So what do we know about this one? Andre, you've been quiet. Did you read this article? Yeah, yeah. So uh, we'll call them UG. They said they didn't pay the ransom because um, 
all of their services are are backed up and then the following paragraph kind of they gave themselves a pat on the back saying you know due to due to the professional fast and tireless response of our team we were able to quickly identify the ransomware isolating it by shutting down the impacted servers and then um, investigating what happened so same things we always talk about don't speak so soon because it will kick you in the butt oh and let's point out you know, just because we talked about it earlier in the show, who their spokesman is. Yeah. <laughs> his role, director of technology services. Well, guess what? He probably isn't very good at security. He got hit with ransomware. Right. <laughs> well, and it doesn't it doesn't talk about data exfiltration one way or the other, too. I mean, yeah. well over 80% of these types of attacks include data exfiltration these days. So wow. hey, great that they they got their stuff back from a backup. But we don't know if that data is still out there. You know, you know when we'll find out? <laughs> Six months? <laughs> no. Let me, let me give you the exact day and time. It'll be... Yep. With this article? <laughs> July 1st at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> On a Friday. And, before and, 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 before and prior to that, Prior to that, he's, he's on LinkedIn right now looking for a new job, so that uh, mm -hmm. a new promotion job, too. All right. And then... I, I, I want to bring this up. I did talk about this on my YouTube channel. Uh, if you guys are interested in that, it's uh, Exact IT Cybersecurity. Um, I went into detail about this uh, pretty good, but people need to be aware of this. And it's important that we talk about this in as many different platforms as we can. Because I, I talk to people all the time and they think that like, you know, my stuff's in 365, we're, we're safe, we're good. Um, and really hackers are, are looking at, okay, you're storing your stuff in the cloud now. Let's just go there and encrypt it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what they're doing. You know, they're getting compromised Office 365 credentials. Um, they're preying on a couple of things. Uh, one of the things that I know they're preying on is they're hoping that you're giving your entire organization global admin rights. Mm -hmm. You know, global admin rights is basically the same thing as, as network or domain administrator rights in, in the old on-prem uh, Windows Active Directory domain. So you're giving them the keys to the kingdom with that level of, of access. So they're hoping you, you do that. So if you do that and they get access to an account, they can go in and change whatever they want. Um, and what they're changing is, is they're changing the two factor. They're turning that off um, so they can just log in whatever they want. The other thing that they're doing is they're turning off the versioning within these two applications, OneDrive and SharePoint. They're either turning it off, modifying the number of versions, or they're going in and they're saying, oh, it's 500 versions. Okay, we'll just rewrite the file 500 times. So, <laughs> you know, the file you go back and get from versioning is also encrypted. Um, and these are the loopholes that they're talking about that they're getting around. But the most important thing, I think the one thing that I'm kind of going to leave it here as is you need to back up your cloud stuff. And I mentioned it at the top of the show. You need to have backup systems and backup data in place. So, guys, like, what does that look like? How do, you know, from a business looking at this, it, this sounds almost stupid. And I have to explain this to people, but you literally have to put your Office 365 data somewhere else, whether that means you're downloading it into your office, you know, to store it somewhere, you know, safe, cold storage or whatever, and somebody can't get to it, or using a third-party service to back up these services. It's crazy. I feel weird even saying that you have to do that because you feel like Microsoft would just take care of this for you, but they're not. Right, well, that, that's that's the assumption that most people have is, is right. this is a giant company, Microsoft. You know, they've got this stuff on on data centers, and and it's it's all redundantly backed up for you know things like hurricanes and things like that. So you know, of course, they're going to be able to recover my data in this case. You know, and this story talks about a vulnerability that that basically makes that not an option. They they encrypt it to the point where you know even whatever services Microsoft does have in place. Um, you know, are, are going to be ineffective. So you have to have a third-party backup. Any of your data, whether it's on 365, whether it's local on your computer, you need to have that stuff in, in different locations with third parties uh, that are not associated. So that way you've got something to fall back on. Yep. And it goes the same thing with cloud services. It's not mm -hmm. just the data, right? <laughs> you know, if you, have, if you have a time clock system that your employees use the cloud to log into a website to clock in every day, 
how are you going to do that if, you know, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy and sophisticated, right? It just has to be, here's what we're going to do if online time clock is not available, right? Here's what we're going to do. You're going to email your start time. It could be as simple as that. You're going to go into Teams. You're going to go into email. You're going to email your manager your start time and your end time. And that's how you handle it, right? But you have a backup system and everybody's trained on it and everybody's aware of it. So when the event does happen, you know, it's not a big to do. Everybody kind of understands, okay, system's down. This is how this is how I need to do it until the system's back up and running. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just evaluating all these different things that are important to your business. Right. Time time clocks might not be important to every every business, but I can tell you we have a cleaning company that that is our client and their time clock is extremely important. Right. And because they have like 300 cleaners, <laughs> right? So, you know, when you got 300 cleaners, you know, cleaning offices for your business and they all need to clock in because they all need to get paid and trying to manually, you know, track 300 users becomes a burden. If you have 10 employees, it's a different story. But when you have 300, you better have a system in place, you know, for that um, or it's going to be havoc on your business. Yeah. And, and a way to pay them too. Forget about you know tracking the time. Right. Yeah. Right. Some emergency checks or something. Um, also, real quick on the article, um, the presentation that I made today um, here in North Carolina, someone also mentioned where well, all my data is in the in the cloud. And um, when I asked them what level of Microsoft um, Office did they have, like did they have the five dollar email, did they have the enterprise? And we also have to remember that depending on the level of office license suite is how much Microsoft is going to be working for you. And even if you had the the more enterprise, um, you know, $25, $30 license, is it configured? It's just not buying and not configuring. Right. Is it, but they're, and they're still not backing up your data for that license. Yeah, yeah. Right. They're just giving you more options when it comes to security. Yeah. And, and, and even if they were, you know, the key thing there was a third party backup. You want to have something completely separate from that entity, because if, if they get breached and that's how somebody gets your data, you know, they're going to be able to shut those backups down as well. Exactly right. You need to figure out how long your business can run without said data, without said system. And then you need to be on, you need to understand when to put these things in place. Right. So. Microsoft can absolutely have an outage. They don't need to get attacked, right? They can absolutely have an outage. How long can you go without an email system or, or a communication system? A lot of people have moved to Teams. A lot of people have moved, you know, use use Exchange Online for email. You know, how long can your business go without those? You know, figure out, figure out what that looks like and put a plan in place so you know what to do if it extends past that time. Could be as simple as just creating Gmail accounts, okay? And and, and the important people in the company communicate on Gmail, and that's how how you're going to do it because you know Microsoft's down and, and Gmail's up. Um, that may be what you have to do. You know, you just have to look at your situation and figure out what works for you. Um, but like one one of the things that we recommend to companies when it comes to a ransomware attack, because more than likely your systems are going to be down, uh, shut down. You're not going to be able to use them. And that's where your email is. If your email is down, you can't communicate via email. It makes it really hard to communicate. So you have to have a backup way of communicating, right? So that might mean, you know, spinning up a, a Gmail account that people have access to that, you know, that you can com- communicate and collaborate on. Um, a lot easier to kind of set that up ahead of time and have it kind of on the ready than to go through the process of setting it up while you're have a hacker breathing down your neck, so to speak. Right. So. All right, guys, good show. Thank you uh, for your inputs today. We're just under we talked long without Randy. He's going to be jealous. <laughs> we went an hour. He's going to watch this because we're going to tell him stuff he, did, he wanted to know. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> we're going to tell him something new. I appreciate your time. Anything else you guys want to add? Stay safe out there. Be smart. Yep. Yep. We'll be back next week with more uh, ransomware attacks, more events. And uh, remember, share our show and uh, rate us on uh, Spotify, iTunes, 
Audible, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember to give us a rating, and uh, we appreciate any shares on social media that you give us. We'll see you next week on the next episode. Take care, everyone. All right.